Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. Like many people, I went home for Thanksgiving to visit my family this year. While doing so, my mother said, why don't you take this opportunity to go through some of your old stuff? Maybe some of the stuff you can get rid of and other stuff you want to take with you. I don't really need an excuse to go through old stuff. So I took to it with gusto and started digging through boxes, and I found a few great things to bring home with me. I was digging through some paper, just throwing out old receipts, things that I would find, when I stumbled across something I hadn't seen in a long time, a layaway receipt. Now, it was folded in half, I opened it up, and it was a layaway receipt from Kmart from the 1980s. It seems that when I was young, I was so obsessed with video games and video game systems that I had taken some of my savings and put an Intellivision away at Kmart on layaway. And I actually made two payments, and then I don't know what happened, I don't quite remember why, but I stopped, and this piece of paper found its way to the bottom of a box. I do remember when the Intellivision came out that I was really taken with the commercials and the graphics. They looked amazing. And then there was a commercial for a Dungeons & Dragons game that I really wanted. So that's probably what motivated me. I can't even imagine how I raised the money. I did have paper routes. I did have odd jobs folding newspapers at the corner store on weekends. But to be able to save up for an Intellivision would have taken me forever, which is probably why I stopped doing it. It's weird the things that you forget in life. At one point, I was so obsessed with Intellivision that I took all the savings that I had and for at least two months afterwards tried to pay this off and then, just like that, I forgot about it. Many people do the same thing to the Intellivision itself. It was a great system, but it was overshadowed by its much more popular competitor, the Atari 2600, and to a lesser extent, even by the ColecoVision. On today's show, we're going to talk about the Intellivision. Give the system its due. We're going to talk about its history. We'll talk about the technology behind it, the hardware. We'll talk about some of the games, and we'll talk about its legacy. We've got a lot of information to cover. So, without further ado, let's start the show.
In the late 1970s and early 80s, the video game landscape was dominated by one company, Atari. But Atari's success didn't scare away competitors. Instead, it encouraged other companies to get involved. One of those companies was Mattel Electronics, which was a subsidiary of Mattel, the toy maker, that was formed just so they could develop electronic games. They put together a pretty amazing console and test marketed it in Fresno, California in 1979, with a total of four games available. It did pretty well in Fresno and was released nationwide in 1980 with a price tag of $299. While it wasn't the first system available at the time to compete with Atari. It had the technology and the talent behind it to actually pose a serious threat to Atari. In its first year, the Intellivision sold 175,000 consoles, and the library of games grew to 35 titles. During this time, all the Intellivision games were being developed by an outside firm, APH. Mattel noticed that the games were selling really well, and Mattel took notice of both of those things and realized that video games could be a really big business. This just wasn't a secondary product. To that end, they decided to form a in-house first-party software team. The original five members of this Intellivision team were Gabriel Baum, Don Daglow, Rick Levine, Mike Minkoff, and John Soule. To give you an idea of how competitive things were at the time in the video game market, the identity and work location of these people was kept very closely guarded. In fact, they wouldn't even refer to the people's names in public. Instead, they referred to them collectively as, get this, the Blue Sky Rangers. Isn't that awesome? Saturday's Supercade will return after these messages. I've been making more comparisons between Mattel Electronics and Television and Atari. Different games, but the same results. Look at Atari Basketball. And in Television. I think in Television plays much more like real basketball. Here's Atari Soccer. And in Television. Again, I find in Television more sophisticated and lifelike. If you try them both, I think you'll find the clear winner is in television from Mattel Electronics. Dear Mr. Intellivision, I'm sorry, Plimpton, my friend wants an Intellivision because of those great games. His dad wants him to have the other video game because it's cheaper. Could you do something about the price? Dear, what was his name? I think I have something that'll make your friend very happy in television too. The people at Mattel Electronics have drastically reduced the size and price, but it plays the same great games. Your friend's father has no excuse now. And now, back to Saturday's Supercade. Intellivision didn't try to sneak into the video game market against Atari. Instead, they came out swinging, comparing themselves to Atari in advertisements, saying that the console was much more advanced graphically and with audio, which it was, but just because they were trying to be the alternative to Atari didn't mean they didn't pick up on some of Atari's smart moves. They marketed their console to a number of retailers as rebadged units, meaning that a company would take them and rebrand them with their own badge on the front. At Radio Shack, it was called the Tandy Vision, GTE, Sylvania's Intellivision, and at Sears, the Sears Super Video Arcade. The Sears thing was a big deal because Sears well, at least in my neck of the woods, was complete Atari country. And it was actually at a Sears that I first spotted the Intellivision and saw examples of how awesome the graphics were. I would soon be buried in commercials telling me the exact same thing. By 1982, sales were going real well. They had sold over 2 million Intellivision consoles, earning Mattel a $100 million profit. 
They were doing so well that third-party Atari developers started to take notice. Activision, Ray Company, and iMagic, another great company, began releasing games for the Intellivision, as did their actual hardware rivals Atari and Coleco. Mattel then allowed their software to show up on Atari and Coleco's under the M Network. The original five-person Blue Sky Rangers had grown to a team of 110 people. Now under Vice President Baum, Dayglo led Intellivision development, and engineer Minkoff directed all work on all other platforms. In 1982, Mattel phased out what would become the Intellivision 1 and replaced it with the restyled light gray Intellivision 2. The functional differences between the Intellivision 1 and the Intellivision 2 were that the Intellivision 2 had detachable hand controllers, which were great because if you ever played Intellivision and broke one of your controllers, you had to send the entire system back. It also had an on-off light, very useful, something I wish my Atari had, and it worked with the system changer. This enabled Atari 2600 cartridges to be played on the Intellivision. It also added a trap to the operating system to keep third-party games from working on the Intellivision 2. Some games fell victim to this at first, but third-party producers quickly figured out how to get around this trap. Now, some people will claim that there was an Intellivision 3. There actually wasn't. There was a company called INTV, which had taken over the Intellivision after Mattel got out of the video game market, and they, after getting rid of their entire inventory of Intellivision 2s, went back to the original master component design with just one upgrade function. They kept the on-off light from the Intellivision 2. This black and silver unit would be sold under different names. One of them would be the INTV System 3, which many people confused with the Intellivision 3 that never happened. Intellivision was on top of the world, so it was time to grow. One of the great thoughts at the time was that the video game system needed to compete with computers. I've talked about this on other consoles like ColecoVision. This became a driving force behind development, and a lot of money was spent on it. Intellivision did the exact same thing. Almost as soon as Intellivision came out, Intellivision's packaging and promotional materials, as well as commercials, all said that we would soon get something they called the keyboard component. When you look at these ads, you will see that it's a larger box with an opening in the top that the Intellivision actually goes into. And this would turn the Intellivision into a fully functional home computer. What would the keyboard component do? It would bring the system's available RAM up to 64K, which was pretty big at the time, and would have provided a built-in cassette drive for data storage and a connection for an optional 40-column thermal printer. The cassette drive, as well as being a data storage unit, could also play an audio track simultaneously, allowing for interactive audio recording and playback. The unit also provided an extra cartridge slot, allowing the original Intellivisions to remain permanently docked with the keyboard component while still being able to play the standard game cartridges. Well, it sounds great on paper. Sounds great to everyone who's involved. In the early 80s, who didn't want a computer that also played video games? The problem was that it was unreliable and was very expensive to produce. The keyboard was slated to be released in 1981, but was repeatedly delayed as engineers tried to find ways to overcome the expense and reliability problems. There's a funny story that during the 1981 Christmas party, Mattel hired a young comedian, you might have heard of him, named Jay Leno, to perform. And he did a joke that went like this. You know what the three big lies are, don't you? The check is in the mail. I'll still respect you in the morning. 
and the keyboard will be out in the spring. Big laughs at Mattel. Huge laughs. Very funny to the people who had thrown back a few at the party. But complaints started to roll in from consumers who had chosen to buy the Intellivision just because of the promise of this keyboard. This eventually caught the attention of the Federal Trade Commission, who started investigating Mattel Electronics for fraud and false advertising. Mattel said that the product was real and was being test marketed and even released a small number of the keyboard components to a handful of retail stores, along with a handful of software titles. The FTC would eventually order Mattel to pay $10,000 fine a day until the promised computer upgrade was in full retail distribution. To protect themselves from their own promises, the keyboard component would be officially canceled in the fall of 1982, and a new component, the Entertainment Computer System, or ECS, would be offered in its place. 4,000 keyboard components would be manufactured before that module was recalled, and it's not clear how many of them are actually still out there. What is known is that very few of them exist, and that's because part of the settlement that Mattel made with the FTC involved offering to buy back all of the existing keyboard components from dissatisfied customers. Any customer who had opted to keep theirs was required to sign a waiver indicating their understanding that Mattel would not be responsible for the system afterwards. Saturday's Super Day will return after these messages. Lloyd here claims to have had a close encounter. Claims? I Well, we wanted to get his reaction to Intellivision space battle. That's it! That's it! It happened just like that! There's a ship of in! Phew! Oh, and those explosions! I'll never forget it, Mr. Plinkin! In television space battle, you may never come closer to a close encounter. I've been comparing the exciting new Intellivision space game Star Strike with one of the most popular Atari games, Asteroid. Star Strike has moving images that make the game appear three-dimensional. Asteroids doesn't. And Star Strike features our most exciting visual effect, total destruction of a planet. This is what the other game offers. Which is why, after Star Strike, Asteroids left me rather flat. Star Strike, new for Intellivision from Mattel Electronics. And now, back to Saturday's Super Game. Okay, so the keyboard component was a bomb. I mentioned that Mattel had mentioned something called the Entertainment Computer System, or ECS. In 1981, Mattel realized that the keyboard component would never be able to produce a sellable product. And because of this, they decided to set up an internal team whose mission was to produce an inexpensive add-on called the Basic Development System, or BDS. And this would be sold as an educational device to introduce kids to the basic concepts of computer programming. This would be the product that would fulfill Mattel's original promise of turning the Intellivision into a computer and would make it possible to write programs and store them on tape. It would also allow the Intellivision to interface with a printer well enough to allow Mattel to claim that they had delivered the promised computer upgrade. The team would dub their machine Lucky, standing for Low User Cost Keyboard Interface. And it had some of the things in common with the keyboard component but lost some things. Gone was the 64K of RAM, the secondary 6502 CPU. Instead, the ECS would offer a mere 2K RAM expansion and would have a built-in basic that was marginally functional, plus a much simplified cassette and thermal printer interface. What the ECS allowed Mattel to do was stop the FTC's mounting fines. And, to some consumers, it fulfilled a promise. Maybe not what they'd hoped for, 
But there it was, a working gaming computer. And it had some extra features that people didn't even think of at the time. Because of a sound chip in the ECS, you could get an optional 49-key music synthesizer keyboard and turn the Intellivision into a multi-voice synthesizer, which could be used to play or learn music, something they hadn't thought of at the time. In the fall of 1982, the ECS was ready for prime time. A new ad campaign was aired in time for the 1982 Christmas season, and the ECS was itself shown at the January 1983 Consumer Electronics Show. It would be a few months later the ECS would hit the market, and then finally the FTC would agree to drop the $10,000 a day fine. Unfortunately, at the time, there were changes at Mattel, and the changes shifted the company's focus away from hardware add-ons in favor of software development. And the ECS would go on to receive very little marketing and some extras that were promised for the ECS, including a program expander that would have added another 16K of RAM and a more intricate, fully featured extended basic to the system were dropped. Sadly, less than a dozen software titles would be released for the ECS. I know Intellivision is a great system, but I want to make it better. Well, we're already adding a computer keyboard. And a music synthesizer. And a system changer to play more home video games than any other system. But the only thing it doesn't have is its own TV. Buy any Intellivision master component, and Mattel Electronics will send you this 13-inch color TV for only $75. I'm glad I thought of that. Don't buy a video game until you've seen the great entertainment value of Intellivision. It offers you much more. You can add the new computer adapter and keyboard only to Intellivision. And then invent your own super games. Develop educational skills and learn to use a computer while you're having fun. Then add a synthesizer and learn to play music. Intellivision, the complete family entertainment and learning system from Mattel Electronics. Though they've had some failures, some other things had already gotten in the table in the hardware department at Intellivision. In 1982, Mattel introduced a brand new peripheral for the Intellivision called Intellivoice. Intellivoice was a voice synthesis device which produced speech when used in certain games. And the Intellivoice was really cool, and it was the only system at the time who had anything like it. Although the Odyssey 2 had a device that was sort of like it. But the difference was the speech supporting games that were written for the Intellivoice actually made the speech an integral part of gameplay. Unfortunately, the amount of speech that you could compress into the 4K or 8K ROM cartridges was extremely limited, and the system didn't sell as well as Mattel had hoped. While the initial orders were really high, interest in future titles dropped rapidly, until the fourth and last Intellivoice title, Tron Solar Sailor, sold a mere 90,000 units. Sadly, in August of 1983, the Intellivoice system was quietly phased out. The four games that were released for the Intellivoice include Space Spartans, Bomb Squad, B-17 Bomber, and Tron Solar Sailor. A fifth title, called Intellivision World Series Major League Baseball, was developed for the Intellivoice and the ECS at the same time. So, there is a fifth title, but you need to have the ECS to use it. I would love to have an Intellivision with a ECS and Intellivoice. And now, this message. 
Return World War II. It's a great home video game. You need B-17 bomber and IntelliVoice. Then every mission is filled with the sounds of battle. Never in the history of video games have so many owed so much great gameplay. So few B-17 bomber and IntelliVoice from Mattel Electronics. Now get a free IntelliVoice module by mail when you buy any Intellivision Master Component. Now this might get a little geeky, but I would like to clear something up, and I'm sure this is arguable. Intellivision can be considered the first 16-bit game console, as the registers in the microprocessor, where the logic is processed, are 16 bits wide. But it could also be considered a 10-bit system, because the CPU instruction set and the game cartridges are 10 bits wide. So, the first 16-bit console, or just an amazing 10-bit console? It's up to you. I like 16. Intellivision could lay claim to another great innovation. It was the first system to feature downloadable games. In 1981, General Instrument teamed up with Mattel to roll out the Play Cable, a device that allowed you to download games to your Intellivision via cable TV. Although, without a storage device, the games vanished once the machine was turned off. Which makes you think, had the keyboard component been successful and they had a more robust tape recording unit, would we have had early downloadable games via cable TV? Boggles the mind. And now, these messages. Okay, kid, you want to play the real thing? Pick a game, any game. Every month on Play Cable, you get 20 great Intellivision games without cartridges. Over $500 worth. All on cable. And you can play any game you want, anytime you want. 24 hours a day. You just push a button and batter up. Space battle? I wanted to play baseball. Later, Mr. Mantle. Later. Make one call and you'll play them all without cartridges. Why wait? Another great innovation and also a point of controversy was the original Intellivision controllers. The controllers are really unusual. They have a 12-button numeric keyboard, has 0 through 9, clear and enter. It has a directional disc capable of detecting 16 directions of movement, and it has four side-located action buttons. The disc shape allowed players to control action without lifting the thumb, and that is quite an innovation. However, the ergonomics of the buttons on the side of the controller were really poor, and of course, that disc pad to people who had played Atari was very unfamiliar. This, along with the high price, was one of the things that made the Atari more attractive. It is interesting to note, though, that that method that the Intellivision employed, using the thumb to control games, would be emulated in subsequent and more successful video game controllers. And the Atari 2600, or VCS-style joystick, has not been seen almost since. The big complaint about the buttons on the side is that you could get an overuse injury when playing for extended periods of time due to the pressure needed to use the keypad and especially those side buttons. This was a phenomenon similar to what we call Blackberry Thumb today. This problem was worsened when the Intellivision 2 changed from solid rubber side buttons to plastic ones with a hollow center that left horrible imprints on your thumbs and could be a real pain. I remember holding cold drinks afterwards to try to soothe myself after playing in television at a friend's house. After these messages, we'll be right back. 
Yes? Yes? Pitfall and Stampede by Activision? Sure. For a television. No, no, no. Activision, Activision doesn't, doesn't make video games for a television. Do too. Pitfall, that challenging jungle adventure game that dares you to find the treasure, and Stampede, that rope them doggies roundup game. And they get a Pitfall and Stampede by Activision for... Put you in the game. Hills presents Intellivision. Intelligent television by Mattel. More sophisticated than any video game that has come before. Providing hours of entertainment for the entire family. Intellivision, with one of the clearest game displays available today. Find this system, plus a complete line of sports and video game cassettes at Hills, where our game is low prices every day. So you know about the game console and the hardware history, but what about the games? Eventually there would be 125 cartridges released for the Intellivision system. Mattel released 51, Intellivision Inc., INTV Corp., introduced another 21, many of which were enhanced or previous unreleased Mattel games. 43 more would be released by other companies. 7 by Activision, 3 by Atari, 8 by Coleco, 2 by Dextel, 14 by Imagic, 2 by Interface, 6 by Parker Brothers, and 1 by Sega. Mattel also released, as I mentioned, 4 Intellivision cartridges that required the IntelliVoice module, and another 6 that required the ECS module. That brings the grand total of Intellivision games that you could play if you had all the components to 125. The first Intellivision game programmed was Major League Baseball. It was programmed by David Rolfe in 1978 while developing the Intellivision OS. He explained he couldn't write the operating system without a game, and he couldn't write a game without having an operating system. So he wrote them both at the same time. The, oddly enough, Major League Baseball wasn't the first game released. The first games released for the system were Las Vegas Poker and Blackjack, Math Fun, Armor Battle, and Backgammon. These were all part of the 1979 test marketing in Fresno, California. Major League Baseball would hit the market in 1980. And this answers a question some intelligent enthusiasts have had. Why is the copyright date in my game earlier than the release date? What was the best-selling game for the Intellivision? Well, there's a debate about that. As of 1983, Major League Baseball was in the league with over 1 million games sold. But other games were right below it, with just under a million copies. NFL Football, Astro Smash, Space Battle, and Space Armada. Some people would argue that Astro Smash, or even Las Vegas Poker and Blackjack, were some of the best-selling systems, but it's hard to count them when those actually came free with the Intellivision Master component at some point during its distribution. So, for sales, independent sales, we're talking Major League Baseball, but if you were to bundle them all together, sales and free distribution, it's probably Astro Smash. Intellivision is on top of the world. They had a few missteps, but they're still selling pretty well. Then, 1983 happened. Everything went to pieces on the video game industry. Supply had far outpaced demand, stores returned millions of cartridges, and the industry lost $2 billion. At the January 1984 CES in Las Vegas, video games were just about dead. Everyone just about ignored this new game that nobody ever was going to buy called Nintendo. Two weeks later, Mattel Electronics was shut down. Everyone but the accountants and lawyers were let go. No more creatives. But the Intellivision didn't go away. The rights to the system were purchased by a company called INTV Corporation. 
which was started by the former marketing VP of Mattel Electronics. They hired the mysterious Blue Sky Rangers to finish incomplete Mattel games and to create some new ones. And INTV continued to release in television games throughout the 80s. When INTV finally shuttered in 1990, it was the end of an era. The Intellivision was an interesting system that came out at a time when the video game market was dominated by one figure. Sadly, in the shuffle and madness of the video game crash, they were sort of forgotten. I know a lot of people who are really into nostalgia who recall playing their Atari 2600 or their ColecoVision quite fondly, but will have very little memories of the Intellivision except for what they saw in commercials. I had an opportunity to play an Intellivision at a friend's house quite often, and if it weren't for those side buttons, I could say it was probably one of the finest consoles I'd played at the time. It's a shame that the market grew too big. If the ECS had taken off, or perhaps it had been upgraded to the keyboard component later on, we might have a completely different landscape of video game playing. But still, we see the Intellivision's legacy live on in high-quality games and in a very ubiquitous D-pad that the Intellivision helped to launch. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist. And you can follow me on Facebook. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist. Do you like the art that you see at the top of every Retroist podcast post? That art is done by Christopher Tupa. You can find more of Christopher Tupa's art at ctupa.com. That's c-t-u-p-a dot com. I'd love to hear what you think about the Intellivision and this program. Please drop by the Retroist forum at retroist.com slash forum and tell us what you think. And a friendly reminder, if you have a couple of minutes and you wouldn't mind dropping by iTunes, maybe you can check out the Retroist podcast and maybe write a review or give a rating. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend.
Let the phone ring. This has been a Retro's production. Goodbye.